Hello everyone. Hi Anna. I invited you to speak. If you just unmute yourself to test the audio. Oh, okay. Now that works. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I can okay. Hear you. Brilliant. Yes. We will start in a minute. Thank you very much. Perfect. Hello and welcome uh, everyone. I'm Osama Gawish. I'm your host and this is Untold Stories uh, podcast. 44 days since Russia invaded Ukraine in the 24th of February this year, the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner of uh, for Human Rights um, verified a total of 1,611 civilian deaths during Russian military attack on Ukraine as of April 6th. 2022. Of them, 131 were children, and furthermore, 2,227 people were reported to have been injured. And today, a few hours ago, a missile strike on Kramatorsk railway station in the eastern Ukraine has left at least 50 people dead and more than 100 wounded, according to reports from Ukrainian state train company. The mayor of Kramatorsk said there were 4,000 people, most of them elderly, women and children, at the station at time of the attack. And Russia has denied it was responsible. So today joining um, me in this episode, Ina Sovson, member of Ukraine parliament and deputy head of Gloss Zemin party and first deputy minister of education and science from 2014 to 2016. 16. Anna, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me again. Thanks. Um, I want to start with the horrific incidents, the horrific attack on Kramatorsk's uh, train railway. So what we know so far about this? Well, we do know that at 10.13, two missiles, two rockets were launched from the occupied territory in Donbass. And uh, at around 10.40, they hit the railway station in Kramatorsk. At the time, around 4,000 people have been in the station, responding to the government's call to leave the Donetsk and Lugansk region as soon as possible for all civilians, given that the Russians are amassing troops there and the government advised everyone to leave. So people were trying to escape from uh, the atrocities of war that Russia is bringing in everywhere. And they knew precisely well what they were doing. They were targeting those civilians who were trying to escape from them. And uh, the uh, missile hit and it killed uh, 52 persons as of uh, the most recent update, uh, literally yeah. five minutes ago. Four of them are children. Uh, the weird or hard to say hypocritical part of that is that Russia has been claiming that they are here uh, starting the war in Donbass with the reason of protecting people, uh, starting the war in Ukraine with the reason because they want to protect people of Donbass. Those two uh, people of Donbass yeah. whom they have killed in that specific missile strike. And they, they knew what exactly they were doing because you have rightly uh, mentioned that Russia denied that it was its job. 
But actually, and that is an interesting piece of information, the news about an attack was published on the Russian media 10 minutes before the rocket actually hit the ground. Okay, they published and, it before. Yeah, so they and knew every, what they were doing. Okay, every time I interviewed a Russian commentator, they claimed that, look, you are talking about um, people that killed by Russian military in Ukraine and civilians and children, but you're not talking about Donbass and what Ukraine government doing to the people in Donbass. Now Russia killed the people of Donbass. Well, first of all, I want them to give uh, any specifics on what they claim Ukraine is doing to people of Donbass, because Ukraine never started any war in Donbass. People in Donbass were dying for eight years of the war that Russia started in Donbass. So even that claim doesn't uh, stand anywhere, you know, close to the truth. But yet today, it's it's precisely hypocritical to get to another new level, even for Russia, because they killed people of Donbass, specifically targeting those. Yeah, and and Russia denied, as usual. How how to respond to this? Just do not listen to what Russia is saying. That is what I'm asking all journalists. Just, just stop quoting them. It makes no sense to give them room. Hmm. They should be given room, given that they're monsters who are just lie all the time. So just even commenting on what they said is just, you know, wasting time. So so they're just lying all the time. Just we have to accept this. Okay, and I'm, I'm following what you're writing every day on Twitter. So I, I think we missed many untold stories in Ukraine, in a... Um, children and women being raped and some horrific stories, to be honest. So would you like to tell us more about these untold stories that you document and your colleague document on the ground in Ukraine? I will try to. It's, it's too many at this point, but I will try just for, for, the, for, for the listeners here to understand uh, what level of evil we are dealing with in here. Because you are rightly questioning uh, me about uh, what happened in Kramatorsk. But I will tell you this, there was another piece of news that shocked me probably even more, uh, that got me like shaken for, for half an hour. And I was just sitting still for, for 40 minutes, wasn't able to move after I read this story. It's actually a report from Bucha. Uh, because you must have heard that uh, we knew that uh, Russian soldiers were raping women there we knew that but we were not given specific information you understand this this crime is extremely sensitive it's extremely difficult to investigate the victims are extremely traumatized so i myself was very careful in providing any information about uh, uh, the rape cases uh, until they were officially you know officially investigated and documented and and uh, about four or five hours ago uh, the uh, human rights commissioner uh, of the parliament uh, did uh, uh, tell about three cases of rape that have already been documented uh, uh, and can that we can talk about. Uh, so victims are allowed to talk about those. One case is um, a 15 year old girl who has been raped by five Russian soldiers uh, and she's pregnant now. Another case is of uh, an 11 year old boy uh, who has been raped by two Russian soldiers and uh, they also tied his mom to a chair and made her watch while they were doing that to her son. And then there was a 20-year-old woman who has been raped by three Russian soldiers simultaneously for many hours. Those are just a couple of stories that we got confirmed and we got the details of. 
And we can only imagine that there were so much more of those, uh, but we also understand the right of the victims not to tell those stories publicly. This is the level of monsters that we're dealing with. Can you imagine someone in, in his, like, with his clear head making a choice to rape an 11-year-old boy and making his mother watch? Those are just sick people. They are they're literally sick with what we're hearing. There was another uh, one that, that did strike me a lot. Uh, that was told by the mayor of Irpin. And he said that uh, Russian soldiers, uh, when Irpin was under Russian occupation, they opened fire on uh, women and girls. There were a couple of them, like several of them. And when those fell on the ground, uh, being wounded or dead, we can't know now, uh, then when they were on the ground, they started driving on tanks on top of their bodies. So now when Irpin has been, well, you know, cleaned, uh, what we are reading from volunteers who are helping to do that is sometimes they have to like literally use force to, to take out the, the, the remains of the people's bodies that have been smashed into the ground uh, in Irpin because they were driving on tanks on top of the bodies. Um, and then there was another one, uh, an untold story, because that is a story I actually heard from uh, my dad who talked to some of his colleagues. Uh, who lived uh, in the village, which was under Russian occupation. And they said that uh, probably one of the most amazing parts of the story is that Russian soldiers were uh, digging holes to um, bury their uh, dead soldiers, the Russian soldiers. But then if Russia, other Russian soldiers were uh, wounded, they would bury them too, together with the dead ones. And and that just you know that's just amazing. They 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 are literally. The, I don't understand how human beings can be doing that to children, to women, even to to the likes of them, even to to their peers, to to other Russian soldiers. And I think uh, it's difficult to understand. It's it's even more difficult to you know take it in. Uh, but I believe it's uh, it's my job as representative of the people to be telling those stories, no matter how heartbreaking they are just for the whole world to understand what is happening here. And uh, this is heartbreaking, and I'm, I'm really sorry for you and for Ukrainian people to just experience this horrific experience from Russian military. But um, I, I want to stop here with the Office of United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. They revealed the statistics about how many people being killed during this war and how many people were um, being injured. However, they wrote, and I quote, the real number could be higher. Um, do you agree with this? The reality on the ground is totally Definitely. different from the, the, the statistics and the official numbers? Unfortunately so. Well, first of all, because uh, the numbers are growing daily. Yeah. Uh, like everyone has heard about Bucha. But there were other cities and villages that have been under occupation, and uh, in the uh, and, and uh, uh, the Ukrainian rescue workers, police, uh, that they first you know started working in Bucha, but they are now going to the, the towns of Makariv, of Borodyanka, and they are uncovering yet more and more bodies every day. Uh, yeah. I think in one uh, case, under one apartment block in Borodyanka, they uncovered twenty nine bodies, and that is just one house and. In Borodyanka specifically, that is probably one of the untold tragedies of this story. Uh, there is not a single building that was not destroyed by Russians. So, so the whole town, like 70 kilometers away from Kiev, 
doesn't have a single building that survived Russians coming in there. So and so I'm just afraid that the number of victims will be much more. And then uh, again, I was referring to this uh, talk that my my dad had with his colleague who lives in the village uh, around Kiev, and it's a small village. Uh, mm. But it ended up under Russian occupation. Huge luck that my parents' village didn't end up under Russian occupation. They were really, really close, like literally very close. Uh, but in that village, a small village, uh, they uh, the people in the village reported 47 people missing from the village. And it's a village of, of less than 1,000 population. Um, and, and the worst, of course, uh, uh, then we are hearing uh, 700 people died in, in Chernihiv. Uh, which has just been, uh, you know, uh, taken under Ukrainian control j- just last week, and uh, th- but the the worst story is of course Mariupol, because in Mariupol I believe the number is in thousands, and uh, it's the number of people who have been killed, uh, the number of people who have died of hunger, of dehydration, including yeah. children, and uh, also you have to count in. Uh, well, we hope they are not dead, but people who have been abducted by Russians. And today we heard yet another uh, terrifying number from the Human Rights Commission of the Parliament. Uh, They calculated over 120,000 children have been abducted and taken to Russia. Oh my God. Some of them are orphans. Some of them have been just taken away from their parents uh, in Donbass. That is happening in, in Donbass which is, again, as hypocritical as it can get. And now, um, would you please say the number again? How many children? 120,000. Oh, my God. Uh, I, can't, I can't even, like, think of this number. It's it's just terrifying. I still hope that they might be wrong. I Like, I very much hope. But they were very careful in reporting before. So, you know, this can be the number. Um even if that is, no, but that is, that, yeah, I think, I'm afraid this is the number because the number of grown-ups who have been abducted has been reported to, to around half a million. So, uh, and with with grown-ups, we can imagine somehow them getting in touch, trying to escape and all of that, you know, but with small children, how do we find them? How do we locate them? How, like, some of them have parents uh, today I actually wrote, uh, read um, a heartbreaking story from, uh, like, I don't know the, the, the woman, uh, a young woman, uh, but a friend of mine knows her. And he report, or, like retweeted her tweet saying that this is my friend and her mom and two smaller brothers have yeah. been taken by Russians. So, so they, it is they are now being kidnapped or Russia will put them in jail, Russia will do what would whatever this, we yeah. wouldn't even know we wouldn't even know what they're doing to those people oh you have to realize that uh well they are saying that with the children they will put them up for quick adoption uh, mechanisms hmm. but again how will russians who are okay with um, the fact that their government is killing ukrainians right now can you imagine how they will be treating the children of ukrainians the, this is the forced disappearance crime yeah, exactly. This yeah. is the, the war crime, uh, you know, loud and clear. Yeah. Um, I interviewed the head of Amnesty in Ukraine two or three weeks ago, and, and she struggled to give me um, a proper statistics, of, um, like numbers of people killed, numbers being forced to disappear. They said we, we are struggling to document this. So this is still the situation, Inna, yeah? 
Yeah, of course it is. And and I understand like two, three weeks ago, I was uh, saying the same because I was very careful in, in providing any data, any information at, until it was verified by, by some some sort of Ukrainian officials. But as soon as we got that from like Human Rights Commissioner, I believe it is uh, only right to report the data because they, they have collected it. They have mechanisms for collecting it and, and uh, they, they, you know, they have their rules of, of reporting this so they wouldn't just come up with numbers so yeah you're absolutely right and uh, well i know that the the, the the chairperson of uh, of amnesty yeah. here in ukraine so i know that they you know they're a very reputable organization they're trying to be very careful with numbers so am i uh, and and hmm. if like i'm only providing any data or any information that uh, has been verified one way or another so yeah. the situation just changed we just uh, you know uh, particularly given that we regain control over uh, Kiev region and Chernihiv region, so we can report, record, uh, and document the the number of numbers of um, you know casualties there. Uh, but in Mariupol, um, I forgot to say that um, in Mariupol the situation is um, even more tragic, and and we would never be able to document everything because today in the morning we heard from uh, people in Mariupol uh, that uh, Russians started um, operating mobile uh, cremation uh, machines or i'm not sure how they're called Uh, and they basically just burn in the bodies of those who have been killed basically destroying any evidence of crime so uh it we wouldn't know and and, and, you know i was thinking about that like can you imagine someone having a family in in there and uh, they want uh, to get their family back and they can't find the bodies and they don't know if the bodies have been uh you know, uh, cremated, or if their family members have been taken to Russia. It can take them years to figure out what has actually happened to their loved ones. Yeah. Ukrainian president said, Vladimir Zelensky said the situation in town of uh, Brudyanka was much worse yeah. than in nearby Bucha. So what's going on in Brudyanka and Bucha? Uh, uh, that is exactly uh, the, this town that I was referring to. That is yeah. the one that, where they don't have a single building left. Uh, that Hmm. has not been destroyed or you know like some of them can potentially be renovated but i also can hardly imagine anyone uh making a choice to go back there after everything that has taken place there but uh in borodanka they are still uh, uncovering the bodies like literally uh, day and night in bucha uh, i think uh, my understanding is that they have uh, uh well to a biggest uh, no, just no, no, no. I'm wrong about that. Because just two or three hours ago, I've seen yet another video, which I, I can't, I, I can't even watch anymore. But I have to, yet another video of yet another, uh, basically a torture place uh, in one of the basements where they have found yet a, another number of bodies, six or eight or something like that. So they're yeah. still uncovering the places. So apparently, what they were doing, they were taking. Uh, the civilians there, well, majority of them men, but then also women and children. Like, and and then they were uh, tying them, torturing them, uh, and the majority of them have been killed with their hands tied up behind their backs, including, and that is the worst of all, including children. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, so, and apparently they were finding like like basements where they would be doing that. And, and now the police, uh, the rescue workers, volunteers 
I just go in from basement to basement mm. and, and figuring out where what was happening there, you know, listening to the people who had been there during their occupation and trying to get to as much information as possible. But also another issue that um, the army and police are dealing with right now and the rescue workers is the landmines because they have set up landmines basically everywhere. I don't know how much time it will take uh, for people actually to be allowed to move back into Bucha because of the landmines. I have a friend of mine, a member of parliament actually, who has a house in Bucha, and he he evacuated the, the very first to the second day of the war, luckily. And um, uh, I'm saying luckily because his neighbor who didn't evacuate the first three days, he yeah. was actually killed. A good friend of his, uh, like I don't know that guy, but you know, he's a good friend of, of this uh, member of parliament. He was actually killed. Uh, and uh, they uh, and and I asked him like, are you allowed to go into your house? And he says like, no, we are not. Uh, well, first of all, he knows that the Russians have been living in his house. He has seen from the window that they have taken lots of stuff, so they were looting the houses. They were stealing everything they could find and sending oh them God. back home to their wives. Uh, and we also have recordings of wives saying like, oh, I also want you to bring me this. So can you please find that? Or like when you're looking for clothes, for female clothes, please double check the size. My size is this. So so they are okay with that. That is what they're doing. So so, uh, so the landmines issue is, is, uh, is a huge problem. And uh, we know that they have been uh, leaving landmines specifically with the goal of making sure that uh, people can, uh, you know, uh, be killed even after they leave. So um, I, I saw a picture uh, of rescue workers, uh, you know, making picture of um, uh, bags with potatoes. Yeah. Because people there, like they, they were having, like they had their gardens and they were keeping their potatoes over there, and and large bags of potatoes, and they have hid, hidden, they have hidden the landmines inside the bags with potatoes. This is how you know meticulous they were. So you can imagine that, that those, um, or they would put up uh, landmines, of course, in in the uh, in the kindergarten, in the playing grounds. Uh, that that's that's for sure. But even in people's houses, they would go into people's houses. So you can imagine you go into your house, but it's like you don't even know where that can be. Like in some cases, that would they would put up the uh, the uh, picture I saw uh, yeah. a landmine and cover it with some clothes. So, so people can just take the clothes and, and, and activate the mine. So I can't even imagine when it would be possible to live in those places right now. And, and uh, you people have to want demine to all those yeah. territories. Okay, people want to leave. People want to flee the country. And there is uh, so-called humanitarian corridors for civilian evacuation. D do these humanitarian corridors still safe for people to be evacuated? They haven't been safe uh, to begin with, unfortunately, uh, the, uh, from different regions, like uh, from north of Ukraine, like Kiev and Chernihiv region. Leaving Chernihiv was basically impossible. Uh, people who were trying to leave, um, in order to leave, they had to cross the river. Russians have uh, uh, blown up the bridge very, very early in, in the, at the, at the war. So people then could leave through some like uh, minor roads. Uh, but then they have set up mines over there as well. So it was basically impossible to leave Chernihiv. Uh, on the east of Ukraine, uh, east-north, northeast of Ukraine in Suma region, they would announce humanitarian corridors, but in half of the cases, 
uh, the Ukrainian government would have to cancel that, uh, like uh, just because they've heard that the Russians are planning to, uh, you know, to um, uh, uh, to open fire to shell those corridors and so on. Um, but the worst situation again is of course in Mariupol. That is the biggest strategy unfolding right now. It's it's breaking my heart. I know that attention has shifted a lot to Bucha, but in Bucha things have happened already. In Mariupol, what has happened in Bucha is happening right now as we speak. Precisely the same reports of people being sh shot, uh, execution style, women uh, raped, children kidnapped or raped as well. That is what we're hearing from Mariupol. And Mariupol was a huge city. It's almost half a million people living there. Uh, 130,000 uh, are still in the city and they cannot evacuate. The Russians are opening fire on the corridors all the time. Now, so people do try to escape, but they literally, yeah. you know, doing that, they understand that they're risking their lives as they are doing that. But they don't really have a choice because there is no food, no water, no electricity, no heat in the city for a month now. This is heartbreaking. You know. I'm again, I'm sorry to hear that, but this is the reality in Ukraine. And what about the West? You know, how do you see the Western sanctions at the meantime? And you, you tweeted about this uh, yesterday that I don't understand what's wrong with the West. They say that are imposing sanctions against Russia, but at the same time continue to increase exports from Russia. How do you explain that? I don't know. I, I truly don't. I can't explain this because... The, the European Union is claiming to be so shocked and appalled with what have happened has happened in Bucha. And then they say that we shall react, uh, you know, as harsh as possible. And then they announced that the, what it was it the fifth round of sanctions. And I'm sorry, but this fifth round of jokes is a joke. It's, it's, it's nothing, like literally nothing. They are not giving up on any trade with Russia. European Union continues to send 1 billion euros every day i will repeat this one billion euros every day for energy supplies uh, to russia and and then during the whole period of war they send one billion of euros of military support to ukraine for the whole period hmm. so that would make it 44 billion to russia against one billion to ukraine and, and, and does this a, a hypocrisy political hypocrisy or what Yes, very much so, and I'm very, I'm, I'm very disappointed with that, because uh, you have to realize I'm representing probably the most pro-European political party in the parliament. We have always been uh, saying that uh, this is where we belong; those are our people, uh, and this is where we should go to. And now seeing this slow reaction, or hearing debates on, on you know, television in a bit in Germany or in Italy or anywhere else. Like, oh, our businesses would have to close down. Well, they have to make a choice because yeah. right now they care about the money. But we have an 11-year-old boy who had been raped by Russians. And if European Union continues to send money to Russia, they will have more money to pay to more monsters to come and do that to more Ukrainian children and women. And I believe that... Um, well, it's just time to decide what is more important and what is Europe based upon. Yeah. Were, were it, um, you know, the values, as I still believe, or were it just uh, uh, money? And I, I refuse to believe that because that is what Putin is based upon, you know. He's all about money and safeguarding his economic interests. 
and that also partially he's crazy yeah. with his you know in the, in the yeah in the last 44 days the, the, there was a strong argument and debate about whether these sanctions can stop russia or not and stop putin or not but uh, guy fairhof stunt he's a german politician from renew europe he made his point regarding this sanction let us listen to him you know why your strategy doesn't work because progressive packages of sanctions with an autocrat doesn't work. That works with a democracy, with Democrats, who have a public opinion, a real public opinion. In Russia, there is no longer a real public opinion. The reality is that it doesn't work because the fifth package is what? Coal. It's ridiculous. It's only 3% of the imports from Russia. Swift, the ban, ridiculous. More than 50% of the financial institutions are still outside the ban. And the oligarchs. The oligarchs, yeah, we extend a little bit to oligarchs. The oligarchs will escape, finally, the sanctions. Or lose a little bit of their money. You need to tackle the 6,000 people around to Putin. The real people working with Putin. And we have the list. Alexei Navalny, the foundation of Navalny, has made a list of 6,000 people. These people you need to tackle. And so I have a request to you. I'm sorry that I'm telling it to you because I think that for 90% you agree with me, in fact. I'm pretty sure about that. So I wanted to say that to Michel and to van der Leyen. In the name of this 2012, it's time to change your strategy. It's time to have an extra European Council the fastest as possible and to go for the full package of sanctions immediately so that you can really make a difference. All the rest will not work. All the rest will prolong the war. All the rest will be more killings on the Ukrainian side. And finally, a little advice to my friends in Germany. I think that after the horrors of the Second World War, they have emerged, I'll finish it, a strong and democratic Germany a very strong and democratic Germany. But from such a Germany, I expect leadership, leading by example, and not dragging defeat, as we see it today. So, Ina, what do you think about his points? Well, I have heard the speech, of course. Um, I will tell you this, when I tweeted that the last round of sanctions, I joke, I did that before I heard um, him saying that those... Uh, well, basically the same, that those sanctions are ridiculous. Yeah. And I agree with him on everything except for one point, because hmm. he's saying in his speech that unless the toughest sanctions are introduced, uh, the war will drag on and more Ukrainians will be killed. And that is where I want to point out that actually uh, I was, uh, okay, uh, I'll put it this way. I believe at the beginning of the war, we were all extremely terrified of this huge Russian army. And the feeling was that unless we introduced the toughest sanctions possible right away, uh, we wouldn't be able to stand against the Russian army because there was no hope at the beginning of the war that Ukrainian army can actually fight back and kick them out of our territory. I think today, 44 days into war, the whole world knows that Ukrainian army is actually very, very strong. And I believe that there is also a military uh, angle to this, a very important one. And I believe that right now, as we speak, Ukrainian army is fighting back as, as hell. Like they're giving, giving them hell over there. And um, 
what I would point out is that right now the major issue is supply and resupply of weapons to the Ukrainian army. And if that is being done, then we can actually deal with this. Then uh, the sanctions would still be important. And I still want, you know, to, to, to I, I still agree with everything that, that uh, we just heard uh, being said. Uh, we do need tougher sanctions and all, but that is for, for the longer term uh, to make sure that Russia uh, is not able to, to do any more wars, um, you know, until the, the, the society is fixed, yeah. uh, is healed or anything like that. But right now, uh, the major issue is, is supply of weapons to Ukraine. And if we get those on time for the big battle of Donbass that is being planned right now, I'm actually sure we can win this thing. Yeah, and um, according to the John Kirby, press secretary of the U.S. Department of Defense, he said the United States is looking to provide more supplies to the region, including weapons, ammunition, and intel. He's talking about Donbass and eastern Ukraine. Does this exactly what you mentioned, what you need from the U.S., what you need from the Western countries? Well, I can tell you what we need. Uh, we need um, the aircraft, like fighter jets, which we have been asking for from day one of the war. We need air defense system. We need uh, aircrafts. Uh, we need, oh, sorry, anti-aircraft uh, weapons. We need anti-ship wep uh, weapons. And we need long-range missiles, uh, which uh, we can use to destroy Russian artillery. Those are the types of weapons that we need. We have, uh, we also need the anti-tank uh, weapons, but we have actually received a lot of that, and we are grateful for for, for the ones that we received. Uh, that allowed us to destroy actually half of Russian tanks that have come to to our territory. So 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 we are you know able of of using them properly, uh, and uh, yeah, so so that can be done. Uh, we are receiving some of those supplies. Uh, you have to realize also that not everything that we are receiving is being announced. Uh, but uh, I can tell you for sure that we're getting some elements of air defense system. Uh, we are getting some tanks and armored vehicles, not enough, but but there is a progress, uh, including, for instance, quite unexpectedly, Australia, uh, which uh, I didn't see coming, but, but um, I'm grateful anyways. And uh, we are getting um, more anti-tank weapons, and some other things that that the army needs, um, but that still is not enough, because yeah. even if Russian army is not that well, is not that technological, uh, the sheer number of, of uh, tanks that they have is still great. And even if they're extremely bad, and even if like a third of them don't operate properly, uh, if some of them are like, like 50, 60 years old, uh, and, and we know that Russian soldiers actually complain that once they launch a missile, they, they never know if it will work or not because it's just, they're just so bad. But still, we 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 are asking for more. I hate being in this position of, of you know, begging. But, uh, yeah, that, that's the only yeah. thing that can actually make it, make a difference right now. Okay. And the, few, um, the first few days of this war, the, there was an argument regarding whether Russia committed a war crime or not. After 44 days, is this still arguable that Russia no. didn't commit a war crime in Ukraine? No, I, I don't have any doubt about that. And I don't believe anyone in the world, well, except for Russian politicians. But I believe even, even they understand that they committed war crimes. They just, you know, are not in a position to to say that. Uh, but I'll just tell you this, uh, just this example uh, today in the morning yeah. of, of um, the Russians uh, targeting them 
uh, railroad uh, station uh, where they knew that civilians were trying to evacuate. That is specifically targeting civilians, which is the definition of the war crime. So we, we don't have any doubt of that. They're using rape as the way to uh to just you know to, to destroy civilians they're using abduction of people they're using uh they're, they're specifically targeting civilians those all are by definition the war crimes and crimes against humanity there can be discussion about whether that constitutes a genocide uh, because that's a much yeah. more complex legal issue if we speak legally right um we believe there are signs of genocide but that is you know proven that will take uh time in, in terms of war crimes and crimes against humanity no doubt about that and and we actually now collecting evidence uh, and working intensely with the law enforcement bodies uh from other countries as well uh in terms of making sure that we document everything correctly so that we can go to the international criminal court of that yeah. Uh, so that other countries can actually do their own investigations, not about the leadership, but about, you know, soldiers who are actually committing those crimes uh, with a universal, uh, uh, how is it called in English? Um, so so uh, Poland, for instance, said that we can take on some of the investigations because Ukrainian prosecutor office is just overwhelmed. So Poland is, is taking over some many cases and they're allowed to do so. And this is part of the, you know, uh, international humanitarian laws that they can investigate that and, and try to bring those people to justice. So so we shall make everything in our power to make sure that those responsible for what happened in Bucha and Mariupol in, in other cities are actually brought to you know yeah. accountability. Okay, my final question, Anna. How, how do you see the future? We're almost reaching 50 days of this terrific war in Ukraine. So what's next? Well, I do hope the next is victory that's what we have to hope for uh we understand it will not be soon and we understand that before it takes place uh we shall probably go through the large battle in donbass that is what everyone is talking about that is the thing that is making sense uh putin will have to present some sort of victory from may 9th uh which is uh the holiday in russia uh, dating back to the Soviet times, which is a day when uh, they, well, when, when Nazi regime fell. Uh, that's uh, ironic that they're still celebrating, given that they're precisely the Nazi state that, you know, Nazi Germany was. But they will need this big victory for, for, for Putin to talk about it on the parade in, on the Red Square in Moscow. So I believe that they will do everything in their power to gain control over the whole territory of Donbass. And that will be that will be yeah. huge. They're getting everyone, everything there right now. And um, I I stay positive that we can win this battle for Donbass. But what I know for sure that there will not be much left after this battle anyways. And that is, um, well, that's a you know a tragedy. That's, um, I have friends who are being evacuated from, from there right now. One of my best friend's family is, is running away from there right now. And they're all like saying, will we have a place to go back to you know, after Russians came to save them? Yeah. Um, Inna Sofsan, I thank you very much for joining me today. And please stay well and stay safe. I thank hope so this much. terrific war is finished soon and everything will back to normal, to the beautiful Ukraine again. Thank, thank you very you so much. much. Thanks. Bye-bye.